verses 22 through 34. And if you were able to stand for the reading of God's word, I would encourage you to please do that in honor and reverence to our our God and his word. This is the word of the Lord. Now it came about at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or my with my posterity. But according to the kindness that I have shown you, you shall show to me and to the land in which you have sojourned. Abraham said, I swear it. But Abraham complained to Abimelech because of the well of water, which the servants of Abimelech had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know what has done or who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor did I hear of it until today. Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two of them made a covenant. Then Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by himself, uh, by themselves. Abimelech said to Abraham, what do these seven ewe lambs mean, which you have set by themselves? He said, You shall take these seven ewe lambs from my hand so that it will be a witness to me that I dug this well. Therefore, he called that place Beersheba because there the two of them took an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba and Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba. And there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come before you now in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. And we ask now that you would give strength to our bodies and to our minds, to our hearts and to our ears as we consider your holy word. And we do pray that as we hear every single word and every single point, Lord, that you would draw us closer and closer to yourself and that we may be encouraged this morning to know that just as you were with Abraham, so you are also with us. We pray, God, that you would be glorified in this time of worship in your word. I do decrease so that you may increase. Uh, I become less, Lord, so that you can become more. Be glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. A dear congregation, when we last considered the book of Genesis, we examined the conflict that arose in the house of Abraham. The Lord God had done for Abraham exactly as he had promised, giving to Abraham the child of promise. When the child of promise, that is Isaac, had reached the age of weaning, and that is the time when the child is no longer needed to be nursed, uh, needing to be nursed by his mother, Abraham held a, a great celebration. This was a joyous celebration. At this time, there were many infants who died in infancy. Therefore, this weaning was a great milestone for especially this promised child. During this celebration, Sarah noticed that Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the half-brother of Isaac, was mocking his brother Isaac. 
The scriptures later describe this mocking to be a type of persecution that is likened to the persecution that the New Testament church experiences in her day. Sarah calls Abraham to cast out Ishmael, send away Ishmael and Ishmael's mother, send them away from the family of Abraham, uh, disconnect them, disinherit them from the inheritance that he would have no doubt received as a child from, of Abraham. She was uh, to ensure that the child of faith, Isaac, and his inheritance would not be threatened by the child of the flesh, Ishmael. Abraham, we learned, wrestled with this decision, but the Lord comforted him, saying in verse, 20, uh, verse 12 of chapter 12, of 21, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For, for through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And the son of the maid, I will make a nation also, because he is your descendant. And so Abraham listened to the voice of the Lord and sent his firstborn son and the mother of his firstborn son off and away from the family of Abraham. The Lord God provided for Ishmael, just as he said he would. And he, Ishmael, would go on to become a great nation in his own right. We saw then the redemptive purposes of this event in the life of Abraham as they are later interpreted for us by the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians. And Paul interprets this event, this difficult event in the life of Abraham, as a, a way to use uh, this example to proclaim the gospel of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. Meaning this, uh, the Apostle Paul looks back at this heartbreaking event in Abraham's life, this true event that took place, and he sees that event being used by God to preach the gospel that salvation is by faith alone and not by any work of the flesh. Now, why? How? Because Abraham had two children, essentially. One of the flesh, that is Ishmael. He is the child that is is accomplished in the work of the flesh. He is the child that, that can boast, that Abraham could boast, this is what I have done. And he is the child that is being sent away by God. And Abraham has another son, and that child is named Isaac. And he is the, the child of faith. Uh, he is the child that has not been accomplished by the flesh or strength of Abraham because Abraham's body was as good as dead. He is the, the child that is produced by the power of God, not by the power of man. And it is that child that shall receive the inheritance, not the child of the flesh. This is later shown to us to, to be an example that salvation is not by your work, but salvation is by faith and faith alone in Christ alone. Ishmael represents the flesh. He was the child of the flesh. He is the child of man's ingenuity, man's craftiness, man's denial of faith even. The Apostle Paul points to Israel. Those, now think about this. The Apostle Paul, in speaking about flesh, in speaking about uh, that which does not please God, the Apostle Paul says, that's you, Israel. Imagine Israel. Those who believe that they were and are the people of God. They are the children of Abraham. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, no, you're actually the children of Ishmael. You who seek to be justified by your works. 
You are not the children of Abraham. You are the children of Ishmael. (laughs) They are the children of the flesh. They are still in Adam. But those who forsake their own attempts of righteousness. And I say attempts because there is no one righteous, no, not one. You can attempt to be righteous, but those who forsake their attempts to be righteous, those who place their faith in Abraham's greater son, not Isaac, but the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect work. They are the true children of Abraham. If you've placed your faith in Christ, do you know that you are called a child of Abraham? From the scriptures, if you today have placed your faith in Christ alone, the Bible says that you are a child of faith, a child of the promise. You don't need to be physical Israel in order to be a child of Abraham. For true children of Abraham are those who did what Abraham did. Which is what? Place your faith in Christ. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7, Know then that those of faith, it is those who are of faith, who are sons of Abraham. If you have placed your faith in Christ, you are a son of Abraham. This is good news. That salvation is not accomplished by the work of the flesh, but by the work of Christ And what Christ has done for us. And we've said this over and over and over again. That he has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. Salvation is by faith in Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. This is the good news. And let me ask you, I wonder, who have you shared that good news with in the last week? I wonder who have you shared that good news with in the last month? We are now uh, three months into the year. This year, who have you shared that gospel with? Is it not good news? Of course it is the best news. It is the most uh, wonderful news. And who have you shared it with? I pray that we are all praying, all of us, myself included, that we are all praying For the Lord to provide opportunities for us to share that good news throughout our week. Uh, That someone might hear, someone might repent, and someone might believe and be saved by faith in Christ alone. Let me encourage you this morning as we uh, progress into our sermon. Let that be one of your prayers. Let one of your prayers be, Lord, provide opportunities for me to share the gospel. Uh, Let people come across my path that I can share this good gospel news with. In our family worship last night or the night before, I asked my son, what is your favorite food? And he said with a grand smile, Chick-fil-A. And I said, what is your favorite food at Chick-fil-A? Chicken nuggets. I said, son, would you be ashamed of telling someone what your favorite food is? No, not at all. And son, we should not be ashamed to tell those with just as grand delight where we could find everlasting food. And that is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. So I encourage you, be vigilant, be looking for, as those who are fishers of men, those who you can share the gospel with, on a daily basis should the Lord provide. On a daily basis. And now, with God's help, we shall consider the remaining verses of chapter 21 with two points. Number one, Abraham's covenant with Abimelech. Abraham's covenant with Abimelech. Uh, This is verses 22 through really kind of 28 or 9. When you study God's word, as we've already read the scriptures, when you study God's word, 
this is also for those who come to our 430 Bible study class. You should know this. It is a good practice to ask questions to the text. Whatever passage you're reading, whatever passage you are studying, it is a a good practice to ask the text questions. Uh, You may notice in our sermons, uh, me and Pastor Zay and maybe even those who, who preach at any time, we ask questions as we preach so that you might think along with us and also think along, especially with the text, right? Uh, we are told that there came a time when Abimelech came to speak to Abraham. We remember Abimelech, don't we? We met him in the 20th chapter. He was the king of Gerar, who took Sarah to be his wife because Abraham lied, saying that she was his sister. And he is the one whom the Lord appeared to in a dream, threatening him with death if he did not return Sarah to Abraham. Now, let's think through this text. It has been at least four years in our story since Abraham and Abimelech have had any kind of meeting. Uh, Four years since Abimelech said to Abraham, uh, sojourn throughout my land, settle anywhere you want. And now four years later, we say four years because uh, the weaning process takes three years. It was a year before uh, Sarah had become pregnant. So that's about three or four years. And now he's coming to Abraham. At this point, you should be asking the question, why? Why is Abimelech here? What does he want with Abraham? The king himself comes to Abraham. Think about that. The king does not send a servant to Abraham. The king comes to Abraham. He recognizes that Abraham is worthy of his presence. He he is worthy of such respect. Abraham has gained this. Uh, We should also notice that Abimelech has not come alone. Who's he come with? The Bible says he's come with a man by the name of Phicol. Who is Phicol? These are all questions you should be asking, right? He's the commander of Abimelech's army. He's the uh, commander of Abimelech's army. I don't know what the highest ranking commander uh, name would be in the army. I'm not an army man. But if you can think of the highest ranking soldier in the army of Abimelech joining the king as he comes to visit Abraham. Now, you must we must ask a lot of questions. Why does the commander of an army need to join Abimelech who's come himself to speak to Abraham. A lot of questions. Why would Abimelech arrive as king, who already has power, with a commander of his army, who was also a display of more power? You see this? As we read on, I think these questions are answered for us. Abimelech says in verse 22, saying to Abraham, Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. It is a statement that is almost uh, unexpected from a, an unexpected voice. The king, he's not a believer. We, we don't believe yet or, or maybe even ever. But he comes to Abraham and said, God is with you. And I, I've seen something in you that, that God is with you. God has, has obviously displayed that he is with Abraham in a unique way. Now, we must ask the question, how has Abimelech seen? That God is with Abraham. How does Abimelech know? This is a good way to study the Bible. Just ask questions. How does Abimelech know? 
Well, what do we know already about what Abimelech has seen? What has Abimelech experienced firsthand to know that God is with Abraham? A dream. Uh, I would say that for Abimelech, it was more like a nightmare. In the, the midst of Abraham's rim, his sleep, God appears to Abimelech and says to him, you're a dead man. You're a dead man because of Abraham. In the dream, he threatens Abraham or Abimelech on account of Abraham. That's probably the first indication that God is with Abraham in a special way, right? The Lord affirmed that Abraham also in that dream, he tells Abimelech, and Abraham's a prophet. Not only is he my man, he, he speaks for me. And not only that, but he needs to pray for you so that you and your household can be healed. So contained within that dream, uh, Abimelech sees in a, a number of ways that, that God is uniquely with Abraham. Abimelech obeys the command, everything that God said, which is a no-brainer, right? Everything happened just as the Lord said it would happen. Abraham prayed for his family. They, they became healed. Uh, the wombs of the women in that house opened up. What is more, Abimelech no doubt heard of this, this grand miracle of miracles that Abraham, that God had given Abraham. And what is that? I'm sure that news of this elderly couple receiving a, a child spread far and wide it no doubt at least reached the ears of Abimelech who used to be married to Sarah. Against all human reason, against all forces of nature, this man 100 and this woman 90 have given birth to a, a healthy, bouncing baby boy who is now growing strong and healthy. Abimelech has also seen the wealth of Abraham grow. Abraham has acquired servants, he's acquired cattle and the like. The conclusion of all of this from the king is no doubt and definitely, Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Can I say something real quick? That's a very easy way to find out, right? All we did was let the text tell us how that's true. Does that make sense? When you're studying the Bible, ask the questions and let the text answer the questions for you. Come at 430, you'll learn more about that. In recognition of this fact, the king Abimelech uh, has come to Abraham so that he might establish a covenant with him, a treaty with him. It is known more commonly as a treaty of friendship. He says in verse 23, this is Abimelech speaking, God is with you. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will, listen to what he says, swear to me that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring, or with my posterity, but according to the kindness that I have shown you, you shall show me, and to the land in which you have sojourned. A covenant is an agreement. Uh, let's, let's make this clear first. It's a pact. You ever made a pact with someone? Uh, maybe this is something that we do, as, as, at least for me as a little boy. Um, my, my cousins and I, would, we would make a pact that we were going to be blood brothers. Interesting enough, right? Me and my cousins would make a pact that we were going to be blood brothers. We would cut ourselves and say, now we're related. Now we're brothers. Uh, a, co a covenant is a treaty between two parties. We're speaking earthly. Uh, covenants can turn, contain conditions. This is important if you're taking notes. Covenants contain conditions. Uh, the conditions are, I shall do this and you shall do that. Covenants also, not only conditions, uh, 
they also contain consequences. Here are the terms of this covenant. I'll do this, you'll do that. If you don't do this, here are the consequences of breaking our agreement. There are also blessings found in the covenant. When the person who, uh, when the person does what he says he will do. Uh, we, we know this most often and most commonly as, uh, in our marriages. We make a marriage covenant between two parties. They both make commitments and vows. There are blessings when we commit, uh, when we fulfill those commitments. There are, are really consequences when we don't, right? There's difficulty in the marriage. And ultimately, if we do not keep all of our vows, there is separation. In this case, between Abraham and Abimelech, this is also important. This is an earthly covenant, not a divine covenant. Very important. Not a divine covenant. It, it is it's an earthly covenant because it's an agreement between two equal parties. There are two parties who are coming together on an equal playing field. They are both negotiating this covenant. Therefore, it is earthly. If it was a divine covenant, God would say, this is what you will do and you will do it. There is no sitting at a bargaining table. God imposes a covenant. Whereas on this earthly covenant, there is a, a, a common agreement between two equal parties. Divine covenant. God is superior. We are inferior. He tells us what we are to do. We obey. Amen. Or we receive by faith covenant of grace. We see that Abimelech has laid out the terms of this covenant. So he's come to Abraham. Abraham, I want to make a treaty, a pact, a covenant with you. Here's what you I'm asking you to commit to. So he's now laying out the terms, conditions of his covenant. Here's the first one. He says, don't lie to me. Why would Abimelech, the first thing that he says to Abraham in his covenant, in this, in this pact is, hey, don't deal falsely with me. Don't lie to me. Why would he say that? Because he's lied to him before, right? Here's the first thing that we're going to do if we're going to have any kind of relationship. Don't lie to me like you did before. In their first encounter, Abraham was deceitful. And because he has lied before, Abimelech is expecting or at least anticipating you might do it again. So let's just lay that out there. If you do that again, there's a man standing by me who will make sure that there are consequences to your breaking this covenant. She's starting to see why a fight call is there. When we deal with the world around us, with our family, with our friends, even in the world of work, when we deal in deceitful ways, it produces distrust. Not only that, uh, let me say to you that even in the work world, when we are dealing with unbelievers, Brother Ray mentioned this last week, when we are dealing with unbelievers and we deal in unbelieving ways with them, we do not do well to be witnesses to the gospel of Christ or to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are, are dishonest in our dealings at work, and, and I am a man who... Uh, who goes into homes every day, and I tell people, this is a price based upon what I've seen in your house. If I overcharge, I'm dealing falsely, and our business will suffer. So we must always deal honestly with people. In our, in our marriages, deal honestly with our wives and husbands. With our children, say what you mean so that they trust you as someone who's being trustworthy. In our businesses, and brothers and sisters, even in the church, when we come to the church and when we say, I'll be praying for you, isn't that such a, a, a sometimes 
a cliche thing to say, I'll be praying for you, and we never do. I'm thinking about you. Actually, just right now, I'm thinking about you. Let us be honest. Let us be people that deal honestly with everyone the Lord has placed in our lives. And let people say of us that we are people of integrity. Uh, My wife and I, I said this a few weeks ago, my wife and I were watching this television show and much of what we do here today resembles what they did back then. It's actually the Andy Griffin show, the old school Andy Griffin show. And people just seem to be from another world that day in in that show, don't they? They deal with each other so honestly and and so, so, so much with integrity. Brothers and sisters, we live uh, at least 60 years removed from times like that, but we don't need to be. We don't need to be removed from times like that. We can still be people of integrity, people of honor, people of respect. People, when they look at us, they say, that's a good, upstanding man or woman. Let us deal uh, rightly, righteously with all whom we encounter. Let us be known as people who, whose word is our bond. If we do say, we will do. Uh, Jesus said, let our yes be yes and our no be no. Let people look to us as people of integrity and respect, and then let them be even more impressed when they hear that we are also believers, that we are also believers. The king is asked in the terms of the covenant, uh, Abraham, don't lie to me. But he's also asked as another term uh, that Abraham deal kindly with Abimelech's family and Abimelech's descendants. Why? Why is he looking at Abraham and say, now Abraham is at least 105 years old. Why is he looking at Abraham and saying, you must deal kindly with me and with my descendants and my descendants thereafter me. How long is he expecting Abraham to live? He is seeing in Abraham someone who is blessed, someone who God is with and someone whom God is growing as a nation. And he's saying, Abraham, you are the head of this nation. Therefore, let this that is done between the two of us carry on generations thereafter. Do you know who the descendants of Gerar, uh, of uh, Abimelech, most likely are? The scriptures will tell us in a moment because he goes back to his home. And it's the home of the Philistines. Will Abimelech and his descendants keep their covenant? No, they will not. And it will come to a head, if you will, really, when this young shepherd boy fights a grand representative of the Philistines later on. And they will at least conquer them once and for all. And they will pay for their breaking of the covenant at least once and for all. Abraham, what is his response? He says, I swear it. He accepted the terms that Abimelech has asked for in this covenant. <clears throat> but it, something very interesting has taken place here. It still has not answered the question of why Abimelech has, has brought Phicol with him as a symbol of force. Until we keep reading, Abraham gives us a reason. He, he explains for us why Abimelech is actually present. Verse 25. The covenant is being made, right? The, the, the conditions are being laid out. Uh, Abimelech has laid out his side, and Abraham said, yeah, I agree to that. But Abraham complained. See this? 
to Abimelech because of a well of water which the servants of Abimelech had seized. So we are now beginning to, to understand why Abimelech has come to see Abraham. The story is beginning to unfold. Abraham has dug a well. A dug a well of water and it's been taken. It's been seized by the servants of Abimelech. They, they've stolen Abraham's well. Now, this may not seem like a big deal or, or even something that we should stop and pause on, but we must consider what region of the world these people were living in. Uh, they were not living near the ocean, let's say. And they were not also living in, in pine trees uh, of Oregon or Seattle where it often rains. These people are, are living most likely in the, the deserts of the east. They were living in dry areas where earth or, or where the water is scarce. Uh, water was a commodity even. We are told in the previous chapter that, that two people almost died because of lack of water. Hagar and Ishmael. And now we are being told that there's a conflict based upon water. It was no small matter. And digging a well is also no small task. You ever dug a well? No, of course you haven't, Leah. There are those who are experts at finding underground reservoirs. And it's amazing how, how people can find these, these reservoirs under the earth that are just streaming pure water. But there's an art to it. There's an expertise to it. You must find the water. You must dig the well. You must be able to draw the water from the, the reservoir. There's, there's a lot to it. And this was all done by Abraham. In a time when there was not modern machinery like we have today. This was hard work. And after all of the hard work, the servants of Abimelech said, oh, great, I'll take that water. Now, this is Abraham. Okay, just think about this for a second. These, uh, we, we can call them maybe even thugs because Abimelech appears to not know anything about it. These thugs of Abimelech, the Bible says that they are servants of Abimelech, so they are somehow connected to him. They've come and punked Abraham. If I can use, y'all from the east side, you know what I'm talking about. They've come and, and taken Abraham's well. Let's remember for just a moment who Abraham is. Or let's remember who Abraham is not. He ain't no punk. There was a time when his nephew was uh, captured as a prisoner of war. Nephew Lot. Uh, captured by the superpowers of the day. The five great nations of the day. And Abraham, when he found out that his nephew Lot was captured in war, he mounted up, at that time, 318 of his best men, and they went and routed, conquered the five most powerful nations of that day, brought back Lot. The Lord gave Abraham that victory, but Abraham was not afraid to go into battle. Wars have been fought over wells. Wars have been fought over, over water. And now there is a potential conflict arising between Abimelech and Abraham, who is now thinking possibly we might need to go and take care of business. 
with Abim, against Abimelech and his soldiers. Abraham's nation is much larger than 318 people, and I'm sure that his men have grown a lot stronger since the time that he conquered those five nations, which has been at least 20 years over water. So the king, it's no wonder why the king arrives. It's also no wonder why the king has come with his commanding officer. Because there is potentially a war taking place here between Abimelech and his people, Abraham and his people over some water. Does that make sense? You know who told us that? The Bible. It's just a matter of taking our time and reading through it, asking questions, and the Bible will answer the questions for us. The king claims to know nothing about this conflict, but it's kind of uh, convenient that he's shown up on that day, isn't it? It's kind of convenient. I, I haven't heard anything about it. I just, I just got here, and hey, now I'm just finding out about all of these things. The king has come to make peace. So Abraham makes the terms of his covenant. The Bible says in verses 27 to 32, he offers seven ewe lambs. And, and King Abimelech is basically saying, well, what, is this all, what is all this for? And the terms of Abraham's covenant are simple. Here are his, his, his terms. I've given you seven ewe lambs to symbolize that this well is mine. I've agreed to your terms. Now here's my terms. I've dug this. I'm even now paying you for something I've dug because this is apparently your land. But I'm paying you for this. And it shall always belong to me and to those who come after me. This is my well and the the well of my descendants. The place is called Beersheba, which means well of oath. Because on that day and in that place, Abraham made an oath with Abimelech that this well was his. It's also known as uh, seven wells. Beersheba is also known as seven wells, which means that there was possibly seven wells that Abraham dug. Abraham's terms were he did not want anyone to ever try to take away the wells from him or his descendants, as was done by the servants of Abimelech. Don't do this again. What is the consequence if it's done? There will be war. There will be war. And there is a symbol of threat in this covenant. Remember, the blessing is do what you said you would do and we'll be blessed. There is also threat. Who's the symbol of threat in this covenant? Fico. The commander of the army is standing there as a threat of war Should there be a breaking of this covenant, he symbolized war. If the treaty was broken, there will be war. And there will be war between Israel and the Philistines in the future. We see this. There will be constant battle. But for now, the covenant is accepted and there is peace between these two parties. Verse 31, therefore he, Abraham, called the place Beersheba because there the two of them took an oath. Now, the king returns home. The king is actually accepting terms of a covenant, allowing Abraham to to, uh, keep a well that is on Abraham's land. It it, uh, belongs to Abimelech at the time, but the Lord has said to Abraham, this is all yours. 
So Abimelech is, is not even realizing that the land that he is on is not really even his anyways. It's Abraham's. And Abraham is making a treaty of friendship in the meantime. Abimelech goes home. His fears are apparently subdued for now. And the covenant is made between these two parties. Now, let us conclude with our last point, second and final point. It is well. That's kind of a play on words. It is well with Abraham. It is well with Abraham. Verse 33. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba. And there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the, land, in the land of the Philistines for many days. After the covenant was made with Abimelech, listen to what the scriptures tell us. The scriptures make it very clear, interestingly enough, to point out that Abraham planted a tree, a tamarisk tree, uh, no less. It was a tree that would grow large and provide great shade when it reached its full maturity. It is actually said in uh, the Septuagint, which is the, the, the earlier uh, manuscripts of the Bible, that Abraham planted a grove. So it wasn't just a tree, that he actually planted a number of trees in this area. Again, it would be a good question or a, a good thing to ask the text a question, why? Brothers and sisters, uh, why would someone plant a tree? Think about this. When does someone plant a tree? When does someone plant a tree? Uh, let's do it this way. How many of you own your own home? Anybody own their own home here? Yeah. If you own your own home, have you at any time planted a tree in your own home? No. Well, you're killing my example right now. Jeez, I'm reaching over here. I used to have a, a bay leaf tree. Uh, my my grandfather used to use bay leaves a lot for his cooking. And I came across a customer once who had baby bay leaf trees. Matter of fact, I was outside of their house once. It was near Shafter. And I saw this very large tree and I said, what's that? <laughs> what's that smell? <laughs> what's that smell? And the customer said, I, it's, a, it's a bay leaf tree. As a matter of fact, I have a number of different kinds of herb trees here. And the tree was massive. I said, that's how big a bay leaf tree gets? Yes. Matter of fact, I've got a one here. And it was a tiny little tree. And I said, I would love, I started making my hints, I would love to have, I would love to have a bay leaf tree one day. <laughs> well, take my bay leaf tree. Really? Really? You're going to let me have it? It was a small little tree. And so I, I went home to my wife and I said, look, I got a bay leaf tree. You know how much adobo I'll make with this bay leaf tree? And so my wife said, are you going to plant it? And I said, no, I'm not going to plant it. Uh, because the house that we're living in is not the house that we plan on staying at, at the rest of, for the rest of our lives. So I said, I'm not going to plant it yet. I'll just place it in the backyard and... I'll water it and I'll care for it. And I used to go outside and talk to the bay leaf tree, sing to the bay leaf tree, and all those ones. I would caress the bay leaf tree. Uh, and, and I began to neglect the tree. I refused to plant it, though, because I was not home, right? Uh, the bay leaf tree began to take on a life of its own. Uh, I remember there was a time when a, a windstorm uh, 
blew hard throughout our city and also knocked over our bay leaf tree. And I saw it in the back fall down and a tear fell down my eye, but I left it alone. Uh, I would go out every now and then and just look out the blinds and see that tree laying over. It eventually broke out of its pot as it was laying down. And its roots eventually reached past the cement and into the the ground. And it took on life of its own. And and it actually grew sideways laying down. I had to go take a weed whacker to it and destroy it because it's not our home. And that tree was going to get massive growing sideways. It was going to knock down fences and whatnot. Uh, I didn't plant the tree because planting the tree for me would mean permanence. Planting the tree would mean for me, I'm going to be here for a very long time and my children will be able to see one day. That's the tree that my daddy planted 25 years ago. And now look at it. Now, this takes us to why Abraham has planted a tree. Because Abraham, although he will continue to sojourn in the area. He's marked a symbol of home. He's marked a symbol of of permanence. This is a place that will belong to me and to my descendants after me. Abraham plants this tree as a symbol of of his being established by God. And and, and it it goes further to say that he calls upon the 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 ever or eternal one. Imagine that. He's he's planting a place of permanence and then as he plants a place of of permanence or eternality, he calls upon the eternal one. He worships God who has, who's always been with him. I can imagine uh, the time, should it ever come, I pray, when my wife and I and my son Nazareth and our, our daughter Selah, when she comes, when, when we will be able to plant our own tree and we will be able to say, I'm sure looking back, God has really been with us all this way. Think about Abraham and his journey. The wild journey that he has been on. He's been called out of a pagan land where he himself was an idolater. The Lord has graciously and and undeservedly given to Abraham promises of land, promises to give him a nation, to make him a nation, uh, to bless him and to bless those who bless him, to, to curse those who dare curse him. God has also uh, preached the gospel to him, saying that from Abraham will arise a seed that will bless all the nations. And Abraham, by faith or by grace, places his faith in that seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. God has showed himself to be faithful to his promises all throughout Abraham's life. When uh, uh, even though Abraham deceived Pharaoh, the Lord was with him. Just as he said he would be and rescued Abraham from a nearly death, deadly situation out of Egypt. When Lot chose the best of the land, the Lord was with Abraham, called him to walk the land. And every step that he took, he was reminding Abraham, it's all yours. I'm with you. When Lot was captured, the Lord was with Abraham as he set out to rescue Lot against the most powerful nations at that time. And he conquered the nations with the Lord's help because God was with him. When Abraham failed to trust God, taking matters into his own hands, 
bringing about the, the promised child, God was still with him. God was still merciful to him. Thirteen years later, God appears to Abraham and reaffirms his covenant. Yes, Abraham, I am still with you. Yes, Abraham, the promises are still real. Yes, Abraham, you will still receive a child. The Lord came, shared a fellowship meal with Abraham, and further revealed that it was through Sarah that the promised child would be born. One year later, just as God had said, the child is born because God was with him. And now the Lord has shown once again that he is on Abraham's side as he deals with this king who's actually living on Abraham's land and showing him that, Abraham, I'm with you still. We can think of the great faith of Abraham, but brothers and sisters, Abraham is not the star of this story. God is. God is the one who has been with Abraham every single step of the way. God, uh, Abraham prospered because God was with him. And the king, out of a pagan king's mouth, he proclaims the truth. Abraham, God is surely with you. Abraham won battles because of God. Abraham, uh, sins were forgiven, not because he, he started to do better in his life, but because God is faithful to his promises. Brother Bobby read that earlier. He who promised is faithful. The song of Abraham's life was simply this. God is with me. It is well with Abraham. And dear ones, for those who have placed their faith in Christ alone, for your salvation, God is also with you. It is also well with your soul. If you've trusted in Christ, it is well with your soul. If you are in Christ, then one of the covenant promises of the covenant of grace is that he will be your God. And you shall be his people. Therefore, God is with you in all that you do. He is your helper. He is your guide. He is our present help, our ever-present help, our ever-present strength. Listen to the words of David, who rejoices that through it all, the Lord is with him. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He Leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Who's doing all of this? God is doing all of this. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. You anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely good and mercy and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When was the last time you read that to yourself? In all that David encountered, the Lord was with him. This does not mean that life is, is without struggle. We will all encounter struggle. This does not mean that life is absent of tears and pain. But it does mean this, that through it all, God will never and has never released our hand to go and figure it out for ourselves. He is with us. I can remember taking uh, walks with my son uh, and admittedly during uh, in areas that are rough terrain. And my son's initial response when looking at where we are about to go is... Uh, <sighs> pulling back, and I say, I've got you. Have I ever let anything happen to you? No, and I never will. I've got you. Dear ones, the Lord is with you. 
He is with you. Let me also say, because I must, the Lord is with you in a similar way that he was with Abraham. But he is also not with you in the exact same way that he was with Abraham. He's with you in a similar way, but not in the exact same way. We cannot look at the life of Abraham and make one-to-one connections between his life and our life. Uh, The Bible is not saying to you, where Abraham's name is, insert your name. Right? Uh, God made promises to him. God made uh, promises of prosperity and land and so on and so forth to him. Not necessarily to you or to me. We are not Abraham. God has not promised us all things that Abraham has been promised. And let me make it very even more specific. God has not promised us that we will be rich like Abraham was rich. I must say that because when I was growing up, Abraham was often uh, one of the examples, the most primary example used to point out that if you believe in Jesus, you will somehow become rich. They used Abraham as their proof text of financially becoming prosperous if you are a child of God. Brothers and sisters, God has not nowhere, anywhere in all of Scripture made a promise to Christians that because of their faith in Christ, they will be financially rich on this earth. Nowhere, no how. And if that is disappointing to you, then let me encourage you and your soul. Because God has promised you something way better than earthly riches. Way better than earthly riches. Uh, don't let the cloud of rain follow your head after the statements of me saying, God has not promised you he's going to make you rich. Oh, he's promised you something better. Oh, right? Ephesians 1, 3 Blessed be the God of our Father, of God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Where? In heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. He's blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing in heaven. In Christ. Now, think about what are the blessings that have been promised us? Read on in Ephesians. Predestination, adoption, sanctification, redemption, forgiveness, revelation of His will, the Holy Spirit. Dear ones, we have so much more than the dream house that we've always wanted. We have so much more than the dream car that we've always wanted. The father of all creation has adopted you as his child. Your father is the king of all creation. Oh, Well, this was a charismatic church. That might be a time for us to... More than riches, more than wealth, you have God. You have God. Now, there are those who may say, well, that's fine, and praise God for that, but what about in this life? What do you got for me now? And I I will say that's a fair question. That's a fair question. Are we only waiting for our pie in the sky that we'll receive when we die? Uh, somewhere over the rainbow, as Dorothy used to say. What do we have now? 
Question 39 of our catechism, the question that my son and I are actually and wife are walking through right now, are what are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? What do you get from all those wonderful things that we've said? All those great theological words that we talk about. What do you get? The benefits, answer, the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are this. Listen to this. Assurance of God's love. You know right now that God loves you. Do you know that he didn't used to? In a salvific way, it was a general way you were allowed to live, but he had set his love upon you before the foundation of the world that you would be his and he would be yours. And because you're sitting here now, you know God does love me. He, do you know how many people that you know that don't believe what you believe because they have not been given a faith that you've been given? They may have more money than you, but they don't have God. They may have a nicer house than you. And we may at times be tempted to, uh, to envy them, but they don't have God. It may seem like their marriages are so much better than yours. And that their children even are sometimes even more behaved or at least heading down a more prosperous road than yours are. But do they have God? Do they have God? Peace of conscience, you are no longer an enemy of God. You are a friend of God. Joy in the Holy Spirit, you should be the happiest people on the earth. You should laugh often. You should enjoy life. He's given you eternal life. Increase. This is all an answer. Increase of grace. You are growing in grace, growing in learning, growing in understanding. And the Bible also promises us perseverance therein until the end. And you will be kept until the very end. You want to know what you have? You have a love from God that will never fail and that he promises to always be with you. While you are here on this earth, God loves you. Peace with God. You are no longer his enemy. You've been given joy in the Holy Spirit, increasing in grace, learning, understanding, in being what you were not. Becoming what you were not. Persevering to the end. Being made to stand until the very end. God is with you. And he's promised to never leave you, never forsake you. He's promised that, that he will help you fight temptation and always provide a way out of it. To make all things... Uh, not some things, all things work together for good to be with you in evangelism. To be with you when you are unsure what to do and what to say, he has promised, I will be with you. It is better to have God than for us to have the house of our dreams. Whatever you are doing, wherever you are, if you have trusted in Christ, he's promised to be with you. When you came to church this morning and got ready, God was with you. Rather than sleeping in, God was with you. When you loved your wife and your husband in a godly manner, God was with you. When you spoke kindly to your co-worker, being mindful that you are a witness for Christ, God was with you. And I could go on and on and on in all of these different ways. We must not overlook the wonderful ways in which God is with us and displaying to us that he is with us. You are doing things that apart from Christ, you would not do. And listen, not very flashy, is it? 
Not very flashy, is it? It's not going to, to draw the crowds to line up at the door and hear how they can uh, live in such a way. But, brothers and sisters, it is, it is better to be holy than it is to be wealthy. The Lord Jesus said, why gain the world and lose your soul? Now, this is not to say that those who are rich are losing their soul. But it is to say that if you don't have riches, you have Christ. And if the Lord does, for whatever reason, decide to make you wealthy, then use it to glorify Christ. And we are not opposed to that either. Just make sure you tithe first. God is not only with individual Christians, but he is also with his church. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, he has promised to be there with us. When the church meets, he has promised to meet with us in a unique way, a way other than he meets with us throughout the week. This is why you should not ever miss church. Because Christ is here. Not because a preacher is uh, the one you like or don't like is preaching. Because Christ is here. Because Christ is here. Uh, When we partake of the Lord's Supper, he's promised to meet with us in a unique way. That's why you should come tonight. Because Christ will meet with us. You should not, for any circumstances, miss the Lord's day. Uh, uh, Not morning, day, all day. This is set apart for the Lord. Uh, Not just because he's commanded it, because he's promised to be with his people. We want to see sinners saved and join to the church, don't we? Who will encourage them when they come if you're not here? Who will encourage them when they come? I believe they're coming. When they come, if you're not here. He's promised to be with this church when they share the gospel. When we make disciples. Again, are we looking for those moments? Are we actively helping someone grow in Christ? Teaching them what it means to follow Christ? He's promised to be with his church. And he's promised that the gates of hell will not overcome her. What's the story of this church? What's the story of this church? We have gone through a grand journey and we are still sojourning. But what's our story? I'm sure if you ask others, they they may have their own interpretation of what this church is all about. Is the story of this church. The story of a church that has gone through so many different changes and seen so many different people leave. Is that our story? Is the story of this church that they always wanted their own building, but they never had enough money to get it? No. The story of this church is that every single day and every single Lord's Day for the past 12 years, uh, through, my dad used to say, through high water, low water, no water, the Lord Jesus Christ has met with us. And through every single step and through every single phase, he's been with us. The story of this church is God is with us. And therefore, it is well with us. And we tend to focus on the wrong things when life is not happening, when uh, the way we think life should be happening, right? Uh, We were doing family worship uh, yesterday, and I asked my son, Who speaks to you the most? Who talks to you the most, son? And he says, you do, dad. You're always talking to me, dad. 
And I said, no, it's not me. I'm not the one who talks to you the most. And he's trying to think, mom? No, not mom. And so I said, let me see your finger. And I took his finger and I said, I'm going to show you who talks to you the most. And I pointed it right back at him. I don't talk to myself. You are always talking to yourself. You're talking to yourself right now. Even while I'm talking to you. You are reasoning with yourself. You are reasoning with yourself the things that you are hearing. When you got up this morning, you were talking to yourself. Get up. When you took your your time to prepare, you were telling yourself how to prepare. When you leave this place, you will tell yourself where you need to go. When you decide to read something or not read something, you are talking to yourself. When things happen in your life, good or bad, you are talking to yourself. You are your most consistent counselor in your life. Now, when you start talking audibly to yourself, then we'll start to worry about you. But you are always talking to yourself. What are you saying to yourself? What are you saying to you? Are you saying, this is not true. I don't see this in my life. Why do I need to know this? Why is this good for me? Does this even matter? Are you telling yourself what God has said in his word? The most reliable thing you can say to yourself is what God has said. And here is what he has promised you through it all. He's with you. Tell yourself that. And you won't be crazy for saying that because he's promised that. I'm with you. God, I know you're with me. When you see things that are disappointing in your life, tell yourself, God, I know you're with me. I know you will help me. Why? Because that's what he said. That's what he's promised. I don't understand it, Lord, but I know that you do and you're working it all out for good. That's what he said. That's what he's promised. Lord, I'm, I'm wrestling with whatever sin right now, but I know that you've promised to keep me till the very end. That's what he said. That's what he's promised. Brothers and sisters, say what God has said. Are you looking more and more at Christ or are you looking more and more at yourself? If you find yourself looking more and more at yourself, then let this be a gracious and and, and blaring warning to you. Catch yourself. Look to Christ. Turn your eyes back to Christ. Say what he said. Remember, he is with you. What is the story that you are telling yourself? I would encourage you to tell yourself all of the wonderful things that God has done. Remind yourself of all of the blessings that he's given about, given to you and the strength that he's now given you to keep on pressing on. What's the condition of your soul this morning? Not necessarily are you saved or not. Are you troubled? Are you weary? How do you feel this morning? Are you at peace? Are you unsettled? Are you distraught? Do you know rest for your soul? Is it well with your soul? How do you think Abraham would have answered that question at this point in his life? Through all the difficulties that he's encountered, 
planting the tree. And then worshiping the eternal one. God is with me. These verses are meant to show that in spite of all that Abraham has endured thus far. It is well with his soul. And I hope that we see that as it is well with Abraham and his soul. That it is also well with us and our soul. We sing the song. It is well. And the verses even uh, those sorrows like sea billows. That is uh, giant waves. Sea billows roll. Over our lives. It is well with our soul. This will be important for Abraham to remember. Because in the very next chapter. And maybe even the next chapter of Abraham's life. He will be asked. To make a sacrifice of all sacrifices. And it will be the most challenging trial in his life. Can I say to you in closing. Isn't that usually the way it goes? That when it is well, then sorrows like sea billows roll. And we must remind ourselves that it is well with my soul. Though Even still, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let us pray.